0: to have everybody here tonight. Nice to have all of you joining us. I thought it'd be nice to start off tonight with a binary joke. Zero, zero, one, one, zero, zero, one, 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 zero. Did you get it? <laughs> well, if not, that's okay, because the person we're going to hear from next could explain it to you. So, <laughs> it's time for Dr. John and the technology spotlight. <laughs>
1: We are going to talk about an amazing space telescope tonight. If you look at this picture here, this is the Hubble Space Telescope. Remember, it's out in space, above the atmosphere. It can see better than any of our telescopes down here on Earth. But this is not the telescope we're going to talk about. This telescope is the James Webb Telescope. This is the new NASA telescope that's getting ready to launch next year, and it's amazing. It's got a really giant mirror that's so big it wouldn't fit in the rocket, so they had to fold it up. And when it gets out in space, it's going to unfold into this really amazing shape. But this isn't the telescope we're going to talk about either. We're going to talk about NASA's brand-new flagship space telescope that they're working on. Uh, let's see if I can remember the acronym. It's the Wide-Filled Infrared Survey Telescope. I like to call it WFIRST, because those are the letters in its acronym. This telescope is in development right now, and it's scheduled to come out maybe 2025, and it is a pretty neat unit. I was going to say little unit, but it's not little. It's big, right? The mirror on that thing is about 2.4 meters, which is about the same size as the mirror on the Hubble telescope but its camera is a 300 megapixel camera. You know the iPhones usually have maybe 12 megapixels somewhere around there. This is 300 and because of that it can survey a hundred times as much of the sky at once as Hubble can. That's pretty amazing. Uh, But there's another really cool feature. It's got a special um, coronagraph, they call it. And this won't get anybody sick. It's diff- different, different kind. Uh, but this is a little gizmo <clears throat> that can move up in front of the picture and block the light from a star, just that star. And then the camera can see everything around the star, maybe some planets way out there, some exoplanets going around a different star. And if they can actually visualize a star like that, We might even be able to learn some things about its atmosphere. Not the star, the planet's atmosphere. So that's pretty amazing. That's going to be really useful. Uh, But one of the neatest things that this telescope is going to do is help us find a lot of new exoplanets that we haven't been able to find before. Have you heard about how we can find exoplanets when the planet transits in front of the star? Remember how we watch the stars really carefully And then as soon as the planet goes in front of the star, the star gets a teeny bit dimmer. And because of that, we can tell that the planet just went in front of the star. Of course, we have to watch it a while and see multiple times, multiple transits, in order to uh, be sure that there's actually a planet there. And then we can try to figure out how big it is, and its orbit, and everything like that. Well, there's another way to do it. And it turns out that sometimes, when the planet goes in front of the star, the star actually gets brighter. Isn't that weird, even though it's getting blocked? And in order to understand this, we need to talk a little bit about something called gravitational lensing. And what happens is when light goes past something really large, like a star, the gravity of that star actually bends space-time, And that causes the light to bend its course as it passes the star. And this is what Einstein predicted and they went and did some experiments they waited till there was a solar eclipse and then they could see the stars around the sun and see how the light from the stars was bent and that concept can work like a lens and in order for it to work the star has to be just the right distance away the planet has to line up perfectly so it's actually less common than the normal transit but when it happens we can learn a lot more it's a lot stronger signal So take a look at this picture and see if you can kind of see how this works. You can see how the light from the object in the back, in this case the star, is going out either direction. And then as it passes that object in the middle, which is sometimes a star, sometimes it's actually a galaxy. Uh, But in this case, we would want it to be a little planet going around the star. Then that planet causes the light to bend just a teeny bit and then the earth or in this case the w first telescope has to be the right distance away so that bent light comes back together into a point and that makes the star look brighter because the planet was there pretty amazing stuff and this new uh, w first telescope is going to use this well, they call it microlensing because it's the little teeny planets, right? This microlensing to discover a bunch of new planets. And the neat thing about it is that the size of the planets and the distance from the sun of those planets, or not the sun, the distant star, right? That distance is closer to the same as Earth, which is a big deal. If you look at this chart, it's a little bit confusing at first, but let me explain it to you. The little red dots are exoplanets that have been discovered by our Kepler telescope. And then the black dots are other exoplanets we've discovered. And the blue dots are planets that we might discover with this new telescope. And if you look at the line, the red line, it shows where the planets have to be in order to discover them with the methods that Kepler's using. And then if you look, you can see some of our planets drawn in so we can kind of get an idea of what it's measuring. And across the bottom, it's the orbital distance from the star. And across the top, it's the the mass of the planet. So you can see how Kepler would have a really hard time finding Earth-like planets, planets the size of Earth or Venus, things like that, and some of the bigger gas giants that are further away from their star. And so this new telescope is going to help us find a lot more planets that are more like Earth, which is really cool, I think. That's what we need to find, the planets that are more like here. And really, we don't know how many there are. We have no idea since we don't have information. So if we can do this survey, and then we can calculate how often this gravitational lensing would actually work, and we can figure out about how many planets there might be. But we're sure there are a lot of them, aren't Aren't we? Well, you know, I think they'll have this telescope up in 2025, 300 megapixels. That's probably going to be what the iPhones have by then, isn't it? (laughs) Well, we'll see. Either way, it's really exciting stuff. And that's all the tech we have the time for. (laughs)
0: All right, now it's time for Breakthroughs in Science with Tobias.
2: Well, tonight, I'm excited because we're going to talk about the most, get ready, the most expensive man-made item ever. And some of you guys are like, I think my wife found it at the mall last year. Okay. <laughs> but no, the most expensive man-made item. And it took a lot of teamwork. And we're talking about something in space. We're talking about the International Space Station. And here's a picture of what it looks like. And we're going to talk about wh- some of what it took to get to this point. Now, As we started to learn more about space, we got a man in space, we started to get people further out in space, even to the moon. It started to become a new focus of how could we do deep space or long trips into space? How would our bodies cope with that? How would plants grow? How would different things react if they spent a long time in space? Not just for a little trip, but days, weeks, months, even years. So we started wanting a lab that we could conduct tests on and maybe even have people live inside of while we were experiencing the effects of space. So that was some of the vision of we could make a lab and get it up there somehow. So we're going to go through four challenges that they had to overcome. And the United States and Russia were the two main countries that were really looking at getting a lab up in the sky. And in fact, they got some labs up in the sky Um, through different experiments. But one of the first things that they ran into was orbiting Earth, the atmosphere. And when we talk about, you know, you you think about getting something up there, and we don't want it just to get up there, we want it to stay up there and orbit Earth. Now that sounds pretty easy, you know, space, it's weightless, so once we get it up there, you know, we just kind of get it up there and then hold the rope and swing around the world. Of course, the rope is gravity, and we're just kind of like, wee, you know, and (laughs) but it doesn't work that way. Okay? If, you, if you try that with Earth's gravity, it's more like, get over here, and they're like, whoa. okay. If you get up there, Earth starts pulling you back. Gravity doesn't, oh, we'll hold you there. That's not how it works. They had to get this lab up to extreme speeds. They had to get it so fast that they reached what they call orbital velocity. And that is where the centrifugal force of your moving around the sphere equals or balances out the pull of gravity. And at the height they were planning to have this and that they have the space station, that's about 17,500 miles an hour. And if you can if they can get to that speed and hold it, then they reach the orbital orbital velocity. So that's the first thing they had to learn how to do. And then you think, well, once they get there in space there's no air, so you just it'll just go and go. Well, there's a little bit of air still. At the height that they were, and enough so that little air particles going past and hitting into the craft gradually slows it down and it starts to slowly drop. So they have to make adjustments every now and then. So, orbital velocity was the first challenge. The second challenge I want to talk about is communication. And with communication, basically, the United States had the Skylab, is what they called it, and they had a direct communication satellite dish they had on the ground on earth pointed up to it. The only problem was, or a problem, was that it was directional and it had to be line of sight basically. So as long as they could see the lab up in the sky with the satellite or point right at it, they could communicate. And when it's going that fast, you're going around the world like once every 90 so minutes. That's really fast. So it's pretty much, oh here they come, how's it going, how's it going, how's it going, okay just wait. It was six minutes of communication time until they had to wait for it to come back around. Eventually, they would try putting more satellite communication places on the United States, even on islands, on a boat even for the Pacific Ocean. Eventually, they transitioned that to these big jets with these satellite noses inside of this dish, and they would, when they needed more communication time, they would literally fly in these spiral lines, one plane after another, to try and get more, longer communication with the Skylab. Well, today, we now have satellites out past the Space Station 9, actually, that are constantly sending back, and so pretty much there's constant, almost constant, communication with the lab or the Space Station. But that was another challenge that they ran into. And the third one, and this is one you you have to think, I mean, if you're just going to send some robots in space, you don't really have to worry about it, but if you're going to send you, or a person into space, you need to think about living. You need air, you need water. Well, one of the breakthroughs that they did was they looked at how we can, this is gonna get deep for a second, how they could recycle human waste and human liquid, not just stuff in the bathroom, but even like if you're exercising, and those astronauts, they would find out, had to exercise 2.5 hours a day to get their muscles uh, you know, working, similar to what it is on Earth. Even your heart gets completely lazy up there because there's no gravity. So a lot of sweating. They figured out a way to collect the, even the sweat that was evaporating, and they were able to get it to 94% of all the liquid waste they would recycle for drinking, but not only drinking. It's, it's okay. Um, not only drinking, but we need oxygen to breathe. And so they have these bins of the collected water that they have purified and they would send an electrical current through it and put the water, change the water back to its chemical form splitting it into hydrogen and oxygen and then they would run the oxygen back through the space station. So all of that stuff that's being recycled purified is not only helping them survive with water they can drink but that they can breathe through oxygen. So all these things are getting figured out well, in 1993, 15 different countries ended up coming together to create the International Space Station, or to begin creating, because it took a while to get it built. And it turned, its I mean, how are you going to get, the, this isn't a ship we're going to travel around in. This is a house we're going to lift up and somehow get it up there. So it wasn't, we're going to build a house and put boosters on the bottom and go up like Dorothy. We're going to make a piece here. We're going to do a piece here. This country, oh, you're going to do that piece? Okay. We're going to do this piece. They all started figuring out the pieces they were going to make and how they were going to get it up there in place like Russia, Japan, Canada. Canada's like, whoa, whoa, me, me, me. <laughs> I, I have an arm. Yeah, we can see you. No, I have an arm. Uh, Canada had an arm, uh, and it was this pretty cool-looking arm with seven elbows. <laughs> this isn't a human, <laughs> um, but it was this arm with that could basically attach to different sockets around the entire space station. And wherever they would attach it, an astronaut could be inside of the station and run it. And so they could basically, when they're building it, putting this whole thing together out there. I mean, you get a shell from the store in a box. You get it out. You can't just lean it up against your wall, usually. You got to open all the bags, get all the pieces out, put together. Well, in space, they had to put everything back together. Well, not back together. It had never been put together. In fact, this piece came from Russia. This piece came from the US. They'd never met. And so hold your breath as we hope that everything fits perfectly. And so 15 different countries working on it and that Canada arm going around um, putting it together. Here's a, a, an image of all these different pieces and modules and nodes that they were making. And if you look here, top left, that's Canada's arm. And what do you think they called it? They called it the Canada arm, okay, <laughs> or the, the Canada the arm. As they, I had to practice that one, the Canadarm. And at, at the lower right, you can see they actually could hook up a, an astronaut to the Canadarm and control, hold the astronaut in different places, too. That sounds like a punishment. Take him out to the Canadarm. <laughs> um, and then Canada even took this a step further. They made an extension. If you look at the lower left, that is their hand they made. What do you think they named that? They did not name it the Canada hand. They probably were like, that's not professional. So they call it Dexter. (laughs) But that can go onto the arm and now uh, the US and other countries have made a middle piece that goes across quite a bit of the station and the whole arm can slide up and down depending on where they need it. Because a lot of work has to be done outside of the station and these astronauts have to be out there in those big suits trying to get it all together. So 15 countries in the year 2000 is when this finally was operational to where astronauts could spend time on it. Now they weren't done and they've been putting things on. Now when I say the most expensive thing we've ever made, getting all of that up there, not to mention the things themselves, but getting the fuel to get it up there, an incredible amount of cost. But we've learned so many things by being able to have this space lab and through collaborating so here are, here are two pictures um one that's uh, an astronaut exercising the top left and again there's no gravity so those are all pulling down on him to give him some some fight that he has to make to move so that it's harder like it more like it is on earth and then of course you can only imagine a photographer's dream of in one day on the space station with how fast they go, they see 16 sunrises and sunsets every day because they're going so fast. So some pretty amazing pictures. And this gives you an idea of the size. So that's a football field underneath. So it's grown and it's grown and it's grown. And we've had, I I believe, um, over 200 astronauts spend, most of them about six months. I know of a story of they had twins and one astronaut was up there, and one they had down here, they were identical twins, and the one up there stayed in space for a year, and when he came back, he was a little taller, so I'll see you guys in a year. Uh, no. Um, he came back down, I think. I think. I think when he came back to Earth, they said he actually kind of leveled out again, but I mean, when you don't have gravity, it's actually quite a gift we have. Even your heart, like we mentioned, gets tired and isn't as strong because it doesn't have that gravity keeping it working. And so all of these things they started to discover in space by being able to have these long periods in space. So the International Space Station, um, quite a few, And you can, this is the, th- the third brightest object in the sky behind the sun and the moon. And they ha- you can track it and you can see when it's going to fly by. And it's a very bright object in the sky as it flies over. But it's a, an incredible collaboration. So just remember. If you run into a a difficulty or you're doing a hard mission working together, we can. Can Canada can? Okay. (laughs) Thank you.
0: And now, introducing Roger Billings.
3: Hydrogen bubbles, no less.
4: Oh, I love it. <laughs> yeah. We never know how she's going to arrive, no. do we?
3: Well, they're hydrogen. Yes.
4: Well, thank you, Tobias. Look, and we match. Thank you, John. Yeah. I, how did
3: match? that happen?
4: Well, my people and your people got together. <laughs>
3: <laughs> wow. And we
4: kind of worked to that. Yeah. See? Wow. That's pretty nice. <laughs> um. Uh, is everybody staying healthy and enjoying this wonderful accelerated learning time? I hope everybody spent a lot more time studying and making a lot of progress.
3: Speaking on that, we've gotten a few comments saying that some of them are getting a little bit stuck and some of them are trying to find the encouragement to study. So I thought maybe you could help them. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Okay, so before we really get serious tonight, let's turn a few minutes over to Page a to motivate us. <laughs> Please.
3: Well, I think it's a actually a really neat time to be able to really um, decide that you are going to step it forward, really get in and realize you have an opportunity to educate yourself through Do you think this. we could
4: take a few minutes' time out? Yeah, but
3: I also, yeah. I, I would want, love to take I, a time out. I wanted out. to
4: show you something. <laughs> you know, this is something my people came up with. Yeah? Because. people. Yeah. The, these are, you know, when you need a, a break, these are These are called playing cards.
3: Okay, we right? need a break. And,
4: and they have uh, all kinds of different colors. Like, can you see, that's a red one.
3: Mm-hmm, I can see that.
4: And let's see. These red. are, here's another red one. Some of these are black, can you see that? There's some red ones, black ones. What color do you want?
3: Looks like I want red.
4: But all (laughs) of the cards are either red or black. Did you, can I have those back, please? (laughs) Okay. They're all either red or black, Mm -hmm. okay? Okay. And they all have blue backs. Uh Uh-huh. Now the experiment we wanted to do tonight would be to test psychic ability. Mm I don't need to tell you the psychic ability is things that you can do with your brain that cannot be explained. And obviously, my people can't do things with their brains because we're only human. <laughs> but we're wondering if her people can do things with and now there's a good chance you're human too.
3: I have some in me. There's
4: a real good human <laughs> ch- some <laughs> Uh-huh some. Could we go to commercial?
3: (laughs) (laughs) We can just turn around. (laughs) Okay, so what I'm
4: going to do, I'm going to just thumb through these cards. There's a lot of different ones, like that one is black, and Uh that one is
3: black,
4: black too. Uh And that one's red. I'm going to thumb through them, and I want you to choose any card that is red without looking. If she can do this, it'll prove something, won't it? Mm-hmm. So just choose anyone you want. Can One touch you touch know, them? Grab it. Okay, show us. Is it red? It's red. Okay. <laughs> but, you know, that could have just been luck. Let's try it again. Only this time, do you want to do red or black? Red. Okay, do red again. I dare you. oh, 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 oh. Pick another You can have any one you want. Just pick the one that you choose. You can't have two. Camp three. And what <laughs> color is it?
3: Red. Red.
4: Alright, let's see if she can get a black one. Shall we? Can you, that one? Mm-hmm. Is it black?
3: Look, it's black. I'm pretty good. <laughs> okay.
4: So this is or starting something. to really indicate that there could be something going on here, couldn't it? Let's go to an advanced thing. Do we have a an above camera. We do. Do we? We don't have an above camera. Do we have a down camera? Okay, I will do it like this then. I would like to have you give me one of those red cards if you would, please. You could choose any one you want. I'm gonna go ahead and stick it about right here in the middle of these kind of like a marker. Is that okay? Mm -hmm. Now I'm gonna take the remaining ones. This one is black. It's a little hard to see. And this one is red. That's also a little hard to see. How can I show these without my camera that I thought I had? Someone took my camera down. They did. Yeah. It wasn't my people. But it's okay because we're going to make this work. Dr. Monet. Can't we
3: just take that camera? Here we go.
4: It? I want you to tell me, is this card red or black? It's
3: Black.
4: It's black, so I'm going to put on this black pile. You mm-hmm. See, I've got that. What's this one? Red. Red. Okay. Black. Black. What if she got these all right? Wouldn't that be shocking? What's this one? Red. 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 I'm not showing her.
3: Red. Red.
4: They're not all red.
3: Black. Black. <laughs> black. 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 Red. Black. Red. Black. Black. Red, red, red. <laughs> black, 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 red, red.
4: The last one. Okay, so that's half the deck. Right. Now, according to her, all of these are red and all of these are black. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's any chance that's true? Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to change, I'm going to take the red one put it over here and put the black one. Over here, okay. Mm-hmm. So now we're going to put the black ones here and the red ones here. Are you ready? What color. Black. Black.
3: Mhm. Black. 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 Red. 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 Black. Red. Black. 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 Red. Black. Red. Red. <laughs> red. Red, red. Black. Black.
4: Okay. She couldn't have got that right, could she? No. It would be absolutely impossible. But I'm going to just pull this first part of the stack here. Okay. Because you said that all of these would be black. I
3: did. Can you
4: see that all of those she got right? That is... They're all black.
3: That shouldn't be amazing And she (laughs) said that
4: all of these are red. I did. Let's look at them. No, she didn't say that. We got them here, and we got to get all of these up here. Okay, so let's see how many she got right. How many did you get right?
3: I got every single one of them right.
4: She got all (laughs) of the reds right? How Uh can that be? And so now, out of the rest of these... Where we flipped them around the other way, she said, "All oh, those would be red too." Mm-hmm. How many did you get?
3: Oh, every single one of them.
4: And could <laughs> all of these really all be black?
3: This is kind of this is kind of divulging some of my abilities, though, isn't it?
4: It's not yeah. <laughs> really hard to do this when you can see what they are.
3: Oh. So I but think I, oh. you can see. I can see. I have special That's visions. That's
4: what I see. Hmm. <laughs>
3: I do sometimes. My sometimes.
4: people are going to take this under consideration.
3: <laughs> hmm. I can sense things. It's really
4: <laughs> interesting. <laughs> what color is that one? Red. You looked. <laughs> <laughs> I, <did>. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I have to. Well, did you know that last week we were talking about these magical numbers, mm-hmm. and we talked about Leonardo da Vinci. Do you remember? Yes. We had a good talk about that, and some of you were real interested in it. And so I told you about an experience that I had. And I want to show you a book.
3: It was a big book.
4: It's a big book. And the book's called Leonardo. And you can see it's bigger than I am. It's taller than I am. OK? This is a book written by the scientist I told you about last week a guy that lived down in Brazil named Santiago. And this book is all written in Portuguese, which is a wonderful language. And it is a study all about Leonardo and his life and his notes and his paintings. And the thing that uh, Mr. Santiago concluded, and by the way, his whole name is Santiago Americano Fieri. His conclusion was that Leonardo took these mathematical proportions, the divine proportions, he called them, and put them into the shapes in his paintings. And by doing so, it made the paintings relate to people, or people relate to the paintings so they like them. And according to Santiago, that's the reason that da Vinci is such a successful painter. Well, now, I'd like to kind of uh, tell you the rest of the story with with Santiago. I told you that I met him down in Brazil, and just to make sure everybody knows where Brazil is, I'd like to show you a map. This is a map of the world that my people are from,
3: (laughs) and you can see
4: the United States up there on the top, and down the bottom inside the circle is the country of Brazil in South America.
3: I think your people are listening. Yeah, they are. And now we're (laughs)
4: going to zoom into that circle a little more. And can you see right down there in the corner, there is an area of Brazil that is a state called Minas Gerais, which translated means General Mines. It's part of Brazil where they do a lot of mining, a lot of gold, diamonds, and precious stones, Okay. Now we're going to zoom in a little more, and you can see zoom in just a bit on that one if you look there you see a city called Belo Horizonte can you zoom in a little more on that city Belo Horizonte, Belo means beautiful, Horizonte means horizon and it's a very very beautiful city and that's the city I went to when I met Santiago and in the next one we're actually going to do a satellite view of Belo Horizonte with some and now we're going to take a timeout. This is a technical whoop, difficulty, which we are now having. And we're back into the ball ballgame. Uh,
3: <laughs> <laughs> I like your song. Oh,
4: there it is. This is a satellite view of the very populous city of Belo Horizonte. It's a beautiful city. And I want to zoom in on it even tighter. And in this next one, can you see that road with the red line on it? That line is on a road called Alfonso Pena. And that's the main drag in Bello. And as it's coming down there, it's actually going up a pretty steep hill. Let's zoom in on it so you can see it. Oh, at the end of Alfonso Pena, there is that round uh, process. And then can you see the the round circle? Can Can you squeeze that just a little tighter for me? You see there's a circle there. And that's the actual house where Santiago lived. And just so that you really know what we're talking about, you'll recognize it when you go there. Let's take a street view of Santiago's house. No, 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 no. Pretty good looking house.
2: Very
3: good looking house. Uh, There it is. Okay,
4: so that's his house. And that's the gate that I went through to talk to him. So Uh we got that all straightened out. We know what we're talking about now, okay? It's fun, isn't uh, Google Maps fun that you can mm-hmm. just zoom in on any place like that and, and remember and see and it's go nice. place. If you haven't been anywhere, you know, I in, in the last couple of years I went over and visited Egypt. I want to go over and see Cairo, so I drove around Cai- Cairo on Google Maps. <laughs> it's really fun, a lot of neat places. But now going back to this story, so. Santiago became very interested with this idea about Leonardo da Vinci. Leonardo da Vinci lived about 500 years ago, which was a long time. I think we got a picture of him in case you don't remember what he looks like. There he is. Um, Kind of a handsome guy, isn't he? (laughs) Looks
3: like a wise guy. Yeah, he
4: looks very, very wise. He did a lot of interesting (laughs) things. And just remember, this is the guy that painted the most viable, paintings in the world. Okay, now Santiago in his book has some pictures of some of Leonardo's notes. And remember when he used to make notes, he would write backwards. And he'd write backwards to hide what he was writing. So if you wanted to read it, you had to look at it in a mirror. Hmm. And by the way, I this will probably be a good time for us to Report that when I heard about that, I thought that was so neat That I developed the ability to write backwards and you can actually do it. It's pretty neat So I started writing notes backwards I'd sent them to my friends and I thought the only way they're gonna read it is if they have a mirror and you know They didn't have a mirror in school And so I wrote this nice note to one of the nice girls in my class and I wrote it all backwards And I gave it to her in a break in our class and she picked it up and it was backwards so she couldn't read it. So she turned the paper over and read it from behind. (laughs) (laughs) And that worked too. Smart girl. Okay. But anyway, so let's look at some of his notes because his notes tell us some interesting things. Is there any way we can get in a little bit tighter on some of this? If you look, he is actually telling us about his understanding of astronomy. And Leonardo was very, very much into astronomy and he understood the math and he understood that the sun was the center of the solar system and not the planets, but he lived at the time when he couldn't just go out and publish that because the religious leaders of the time had different opinions and it would be heresy in other words, you'd get into a real fight with the church if you went against whatever they said. There's another note I wanna show you. This is, uh, uh, this is a nice note turned on his side, isn't it? Uh, do we have the telescope slide? Uh, he also designed telescopes. In fact, he made one, if, if you don't have it, it's fine, but he made a design for a very large telescope. So. The important thing is to know he was into these kind of things and he knew the orbits of, of the main planets. And those were the things that Santiago found in his paintings. Now I wanna show you one of his paintings. This is a painting that you should all recognize again because it's the Mona Lisa and it's turned sideways on purpose so that I can show it to you a little bit bigger. Can we zoom in on her forehead for a minute? Uh, this is a sharper picture. And I want you to see across her forehead, she's got some hair out of place. We go in a little tighter there, tighter, tighter, zoom, zoom, zoom. You see that hair across her forehead? Isn't it strange that he would just paint that there? Mm -hmm. It's pretty obvious that he put that line there for a reason, doesn't it? Now let's zoom back out and let's look in the background behind her up above. And uh, there are circumferences in that background dirt that don't seem to make a lot of significance to the painting, but they actually tie into uh, the planets of our solar system. Now in this next slide, you'll see the real markings that uh, Santiago found on the Mona Lisa. Can we zoom in a little bit more on those? And if you look up on her forehead, you remember where that hair was out of place? Can we zoom in on that? You can see one of the main circles goes right across that circumference. So this is how he was encoding his information into his paintings. And interestingly, Santiago studied many of his paintings, and he found these divine proportions hidden in them. Let's look at the Last Supper for a minute. This is a very famous painting he did on the wall of a, of a cafeteria. And uh, now let's look at it with all of the uh, markings on it. Can we zoom in a little bit more on that? It's and amazing. so here's all the proof that Leonardo da Vinci knew a lot of things that they wouldn't let him say, so he said them anyway. So is it possible that the reason that people fill his paintings so much is because he put these divine ratios in there? It could be. You remember the story I told you last time where I said that I made a suggestion that maybe the reason on the paintings he had made with and without the divine proportion, and then he was gonna have everybody notice them and they didn't, he had a lot of people come and they couldn't pick out which ones had it and which ones didn't. He was very discouraged when I met him And I suggested, maybe you have to see them many times. And then you just start to come to fill it. And so then he did another test where he had people come once a week for 12 weeks. And they had a very large percentage that picked out the right paintings. And he was so happy about that, he decided to do a painting of moi. Yeah,
3: they want to see it.
4: Yeah, do you want to see it?
3: Santiago, yes.
4: Well, this is the now oh, infamous painting are. of Roger Billings, painted by Santiago. Now, I would ask to zoom in, but it could be hard on the Internet.
3: You know. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's zoom
4: in more and more and, more and more and more and more. So this is the original art of Santiago. And you're going to say, man, you look pretty sober, mm-hmm. maybe even pretty sad. Well, he told me I had to sit still
3: <laughs> it looks like and you're deep in
4: I, thought, though. I, oh, I was very. Deep. What you I had were to pull that face for a couple hours while he was painting it. But at any rate, um, uh, some would say maybe he's more of a scientist than a painter. <laughs> I don't know. But it's interesting that um, numbers are very powerful, and it's interesting as as Tobias told us last week that some of these numbers in certain ratios show up all throughout nature. And there's a reason for that. Uh, So much of what we enjoy, for example, the space station that Tobias told us about tonight, would be completely impossible if it wasn't for these numbers and the mathematical tools that we use to to engage them Mm -hmm. and to do things with them. I think they're really neat. So, what do you think? What do your people think about that?
3: My people love it; do they it. absolutely do.
4: So, are you admitting that you have different people than we have?
3: Oh, absolutely, <laughs> I do.
4: Make we see life that.
3: very differently.
4: Yeah, we do. We we really do. We
3: look for the good things.
4: Well, speaking of good things, mm-hmm. um, I, I would like to go back to the challenge that I gave PJ a minute ago and talk a little bit about. Uh, learning about education about knowledge and gaining knowledge and power Uh, our our nation our world is going through a tough period we have this nasty little virus and I say little viruses are very very small bacteria are so small you can't see them except with a microscope and viruses are much smaller than bacteria bacteria are little living organisms Viruses are so small, they're not even able to live, but they actually survive by becoming a parasite inside a living cell. And I think the first time we ever saw one was with the first electron microscope, so they're very, very small, and yet they can create so much havoc, and we have a lot of havoc going on in our world right now, because this particular virus is very contagious, and it does make... <clears throat> Quite a few people pretty sick,
3: mm-hmm.
4: and, and that's sad. And, uh, we have some, some good news uh, in the world and, and in America. It seems like in a lot of places, this the number of people getting really sick with this virus is starting to diminish. The number of people going to the hospitals is going down. A lot of the people that have gone to the hospital very sick are now getting out because they're better. So it seems like we're starting to get past it, and I think it's, it's really a, an exciting thing. Um, more and more this week, people have been realizing the value of the face masks to help keep the germs from going out from you if you have the virus and from coming back in if someone around you has it. And I'm really uh, encouraging people now to figure out how to make these masks. Uh, when, I go, when I have to go somewhere, like maybe to the drugstore or the grocery store or somewhere, I'm around a lot of people, some of them who may have the infection, I like to wear a mask. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because we kind of have a shortage of masks. there's not enough to go around. And they could really help stop this. spread of this virus and so a lot of people have started making their own Mm -hmm. and I think that's really neat there's a lot of patterns for making a mask now available on the internet and I'm so proud of Americans because we're just not willing if we need them then we make them and a lot of people have made them so that you can uh, actually throw them in the laundry and wash them after you use them so you can use them over and over and over again Mm -hmm. it's pretty cool but I really do believe in masks, and I think if you're around someone, uh, especially someone that might be sneezing or coughing, it would be really good if you wore a mask to prevent that infection from coming into your body. And if you happen to be the person that's sneezing and coughing, you know, you you can't really stop. When when you get infected with a, a germ like this, you can't help it. So I think if you're having those symptoms, it's good to get a mask and it's good to wear it. I, I believe that one of the permanent changes uh, from this virus is people are going to be a lot more careful about how we spread germs. And I think if people who have a fever, who have these flu symptoms would stay home, the flu wouldn't spread nearly so much. And the coronavirus wouldn't spread so much if we could just learn that when you're sick, you need to kind of self-quarantine yourself so you don't give it to others. They say you need to wash your hands a lot, uh, and I I think it's really good. But personally, I think that the the protective masks are a really good idea, and you know they have real fancy ones that they use for doctors and people that are right in harm's way. But just even a cloth mask can do a, an awful lot of good. I think what we need to do is uh, make masks that are fun enough so people will want to wear them.
3: I think so too.
4: Yeah, I, you know, and we could we could put things on them. They could say things that would be kind of neat, like uh, behind this mask are germs.
3: <laughs> how about how about <laughs> Not that. <laughs> <laughs> How about behind this mask? I'm smiling, or can you see my smile? Or I'm smiling. I mean, because you can can't see, see people smiling. Smile I you know want a that's mask. the problem. That's the problem with
4: masks. Yeah, that's problem. But you
3: can see it with your eyes.
4: <laughs> so I guess we're going to have to all have some help with this. But I really yeah. think that having some neat masks would be pretty cool. Now we do have some new posters. Do we have a poster here to show?
3: We. We can get one right away.
4: Okay. We don't have it, but they can see it. Right. I just want to say we have four new wonderful posters, and they're three foot by two foot. They're the big kind. Oh, look. Oh, and there it is right there on the screen. See, we do have it. A solid science, empower your dreams. And do you like that poster? Me? I love
3: that
4: poster. Yeah. Well, we got these. Like I say, they're huge. They're two foot by four foot which is the size of frames that you can buy a lot of places if you want to frame it and hang up on the wall um i i'd like to do something as my way of fighting back the coronavirus you notice on this can we can we bring that poster up again if you notice there is a microscope and chemicals and all the things you need to empower your dreams and fight germs and so i have arranged to put these new posters that we just got this week to put them in the acela store Mm -hmm. and they they cost like i don't know sixteen dollar fifteen dollars something like that but uh i put a little special code on for the people that are part of science live and so if you go in there and you put the promotion code of science they're a dollar
3: really? Yeah Wow
4: that ought to kill the virus. <laughs> it should And I think everybody should have some science posters somewhere
3: absolutely okay
4: so if you want one just go in there and put science and a dollar they may make you pay for the shipping unless well, you want to come it. And get it but anyway, I like okay. everybody that would like and and oh, I think I like we that
3: have one too. we
4: have there's another one. this is the How hydrogen cool is car that? one empowering that your is dreams me. windmill, hydrogen. Has your Mm
3: -hmm. name right
4: on that car? Really, Ford, Mercedes. It says
3: Bill. It's interesting.
4: That particular (laughs) car uh, is a Mercedes. Right. And (laughs) Mercedes-Benz in Germany is one of the companies that has really worked with me on developing hydrogen cars over the years. And uh, so that's kind of neat. Do we have uh, any of the other ones we can show? Oh, Oh,
0: this one
4: is nuclear fusion. This is where we put a star inside a machine to generate power. The only problem right now is that when we do this, it melts the machine. Oh. Yeah, it's the same temperature as the sun. It's a million degrees. And we don't have any material that can stand that temperature. So we're trying to make a bottle out of a magnetic field. And uh, someday we'll master that. And when we do, there is enough heavy hydrogen in the ocean to run all the equipment and cars and vehicles and everything in the world for thousands of years. So that's coming. Then we'll be powered by little suns, little stars inside our our generators. Do we have one more? Oh, there it is. This is the monarch butterfly. And you notice the three life stages. We have the... The caterpillar. The caterpillar, then the chrysalis, uh-huh. or if it were a moth, we call it a cocoon. A lot of people call them cocoons. And it is absolutely amazing that a caterpillar can uh, crawl around the world on very short legs, looking at everything from very close to the ground, and then stop and spin a cocoon or a chrysalis, and uh, transform themselves like we're doing with education. And then they come out with this amazing power of being able to butter, to fly like a butterfly. And so those are four posters. If anybody would like one of those, those are available. Those are neat. Okay? Yeah. Those
3: are really neat.
4: And they're all the artwork of our amazing cellus artist. Mm-hmm. You want to yeah. tell about him.
3: He has done um, a number of covers for magazines. He's a very, very, very well-known artist, and he's right here in Kansas City. And he he's remarkable.
4: And his name's Ryan. His
3: name is Ryan Etter.
4: And Ryan, if uh, what are some of the magazines?
3: He's done uh, Wired and the SQL magazines and a lot of the. So are covers
4: of right. Wired magazines yeah. and that and the same guy and now. He's working full-time for Solus, helping create uh, imagery like this for our courses and illustrate concepts and things. And we are so grateful to have him on our team. He's doing Mm -hmm. really, really great work. So these are some of his his artwork. We're really grateful to be able to offer them to you. Okay?
3: That's quite a generous offer you gave to our students. Thank At least you. I think so. <laughs> this was something that
4: me and my people wanted to do <laughs> for you and your people and your students. Uh
3: huh. I have a lot and of students. for our students mm-hmm. too. Our
4: students. Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm. She we does share have A lot of students. Have a lot of care. About. So
4: we also put. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if any of the students have found this yet, but we put up one more of those crisis intervention videos.
3: I don't think so, because one of them was asking about it tonight, saying we should do one more. That one. <laughs>
4: And we now have responded because we did get requests. And so I finally got to be in one crisis intervention <laughs> video. It's the one about the coronavirus. Yes. So when you sign into a cellist, you choose in which class you're going to work on, mm-hmm. there are the crisis intervention compass up in the corner. Click on yeah. it and go find the one on the corona the Corona
3: pandemic.
4: pandemic. Mm-hmm. And look for me in it.
3: It features you.
4: I'm the guy <laughs> that's in there with her.
3: <laughs> I think it's the other way around this time. I'm, well, no, I'm not the guy. <laughs> I'm the girl. <laughs> anyway, see, this English language is not my language. It's not my native I tongue. I see. <laughs> Make a note.
4: <laughs> it's true. It. Well, at any rate, uh, I really feel like we're starting <laughs> to uh, get on the other side of this pandemic and... Uh, it's been hard for a lot of people. I hope it's made us be better people. I hope it's made us care more about each other and realize what wonderful, blessed lives we're living and filled us with gratitude. And when you go into those stores and there's all that wonderful food and supplies there, it just makes you so grateful, and we should be. And I hope that the world that'll come out of this pandemic will be a better world, and that we will all take better care of each other. I think so. Yeah, I think we will. I think we will, too. I would like to say that we have one other program I want to mention that we're we're just starting to get involved in. Uh, some of the students are working very diligently in a Acellus And during this time, it's like some of you have been even more diligent. It seems like we have seen scores on exams and assignments go up, uh, which makes me really happy, because that means you're learning the material better. Uh, We are starting now to go through and look at those records. And um, anybody that is doing really outstanding in your courses, that is in the category of a little bit older, you know, uh, those of you that are like 17 or 18 years old or even older, uh, we're looking at your records and we're trying to find the ones that are really working hard and applying themselves for scholarships. And we're, we've just uh, uh, set aside 100 scholarships which we plan to award in the next 30 days for students that are doing really uh, outstanding work. And we're we're looking for students that uh, especially might want to go into science or into uh, distance learning or computer programming or cybersecurity or things like that, because those are the specialty areas of our university. And those students that uh, are selected for these scholarships will have all their tuition and fees paid. And we also have a, a special program so that you can come and study and stay at our new hydrogen inn. So uh, hopefully that'll give all of you a little bit more incentive to study hard. A lot of our Cellus graduates are getting scholarships at other universities too. I think that's wonderful. But one of the main things they look at is how well you're doing in your courses. So it may not seem like a big deal while you're doing it, but it is. Uh, Really learning the material, getting the best grade you can, is mastering the knowledge, which will open doors for the rest of your lives. So invest in yourselves. It's really going to to make a difference. what you're able to do in your life and how well you're going to be able to take care of the people you care about
3: so if i got really stuck in math what would be your advice to me if i was very frustrated and very stuck and i wanted to kind of give up on it
4: well let's let's put this out so guys Pace is really stuck in math. There
3: was a time. Yeah.
4: Honestly, was. She's really stuck was. in math. And you know what? Um, I have a team of people that are constantly looking for people that are stuck in math. And when we find someone that's stuck, then we try to figure out why. And then we try to fix it so that will never happen to anyone else again. And it's amazing how much better our math courses are getting because of yeah. that. But... Uh, if, if you really are stuck and you use the help resources that are there and it's still not coming, it may be that we've got you in a class that you're not ready for. And the amazing thing we've learned is that if you're in a class you're not ready for, you don't have the foundation, you can work hard every day and you just don't get it. It's so much quicker and better if you go back and do a preparatory course first, and then come back and do this. You can have both done in less time than you'd spend doing this one, and you're not learning anything. You're just wasting your time. So reach out and and uh, make sure you're getting into your success zone. That means where you're mastering the lessons. Uh, there are so many things that have been done and are being done to make Sell us work effectively if there is some place where you really are stuck uh, Do at least shoot us a note we have system monitors that try to identify when people are stuck and um, it, It's something I'm very very concerned about we are bringing in a whole uh, new group of teachers filming and refilming courses and fixing things based on all the data we've got from all the students that are, are using the us. Uh We're gonna make it better and better every day. But uh, we do really need your help. And don't just sit and spin your wheels and get discouraged. Uh, when it's impossible, it's because you don't have the background you need for the material you're in. Let's get you in the right level and you'll do well. There are so many students that have felt like, I can't do math, that have found out they can. They just need to get on the right level and have the right teacher in the right way. Okay? Thank you. Thank you. Take care of yourselves. Stay healthy. And study hard.
0: Thank you all for joining us tonight. We'll see you next week. Have a great night.